Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. Welcome everybody back to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. You tuned into a fantastic show. If you're listening to this, you tuned into part two of my interview with Grant Kimmer from Grant's Wild World of Animals. Grant is just a wealth of information. He takes care of over 200 different animals. And, you know, it's really funny because people actually ask me all the time. They're like, Corbin, what is it like to take care of pythons? Or what is it like to care for alligators? And to me, it's just my day-to-day life. I've been doing it for 18 years and it's not it, it, it's not unusual for me. And sometimes I have to pinch myself and realize like, oh yeah, like it is unusual for someone to care for alligators. Like I guess it, it does make sense why people are fascinated with it because it is a very unusual line of work. And I found myself during this interview with Grant asking him about his animals and, you know, asking Grant, like, what is it like taking care of lions and tigers and bears and wolves and leopards and jaguars? Like, what is that like? I was, I was just was so curious to hear his take on it. And we just had a very fascinating discussion. Now, before you listen to this, if you have not had a chance, please listen to part one of my interview with Grant. That's episode 182. And we talk about bringing animals on talk shows and Grant and his wife, Jamie, have been doing this for over 30 years. They specialize in educational outreach programs, and they have animal ambassadors they use for TV work, production work, educational things at schools, libraries, etc. So if you want to hear that first, I highly recommend doing that. But this is a very interesting conversation, especially for you wondering what it would be like to care for a hyena. What would it be like caring for a male lion once it hits its adulthood and once testosterone is raging? What would that be like? So once again, very fascinating interview. As always, I encourage you to check out the after show because we talk about some close calls and I asked Grant what do you do if you are attacked by a tiger, a bear? Uh, he kind of goes over some close calls, even a story about his calf nearly being ripped out by a hyena. So this is a very fascinating after show. And he also gives his take on the Tiger King. And yes, he has met Carol Baskin. You'll hear his thoughts in the after show. So you can check that out. Just head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. With that said, let's get to today's interview. Grant, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. You were just asking me how many part twos do you do? And I had to think we've only done, I think we did one other one with um, Dave Salmoni from Animal Planet. Yeah, a good friend of mine. And, you know, I, a lot of the guys you have on, I'm sure you could do five parts. You know, they're, they're backgrounds. Uh, you know, they're, they're just so rich in history and probably so much to say. So, you know, I, I'm sure you can come back around to everyone. I know. And I didn't even think about, I mean, there's a lot to say with you, but I wasn't planning on a part two, but then I asked you at the very end. And by the way, listeners, if you haven't had a chance, check out last week's episode with Grant. We talk about bringing animals on talk shows, which is its own separate interview and can of worms. But I asked you at the very end, I was like, okay, Grant, before we leave, what's your favorite animal? And you're like, uh, and then it was like, there's so much to talk about with you. And uh, I was like, do we have to do a part two? Yeah, you know, when we talk about animals, I kind of run the gamut, you know, I mean, I, I there, there's literally nothing that I'm not interested in. I mean, you know, I, we joked around about if we 
find ourselves in a situation where all we can do is use an ant farm for educational programs. That's what we're going to do. That's what I'm going to do. Um, but I find ants fascinating. I, I, I actually have been even researching, uh, you know, ant farms. And, uh, you know, before I get involved with any animal, I want to know everything up and down, left and right, and make sure, number one, that I can give them the ultimate care and give them a satisfying life in a captive setting. And uh, so, it, you know, it's almost funny in the sense that, you know, I, I would actually like to experience ants for myself. Yeah, they're fascinating. By the way, tell listeners that they haven't listened to last week very briefly what you do. Because if someone's like, wait, is this yeah. an ant expert? They're probably confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I do education outreach programs, which kind of runs also the full spectrum from, uh, you know, going to local schools and libraries and events to large contract shows for zoos, aquariums, uh, theme parks, amusement parks, fairs, festivals, all the sort of things like that. Um, we do production work, movies and television. Uh, so anything really involving animals and uh, educational programs with the public were there. If you are watching a, well, I guess this was pre-COVID, but if you see an animal expert bringing animals on you know talk shows or interacting with the host and i mean i would say a safe bet especially back east like 75 80 percent of the time if not more they're your animals that that's exactly the number i would probably guess although i've never sat down and computed it but that yeah. would be my off the top of my head yeah it's it's weird you know we we kind of started working with jack and then jack is so popular and knows everyone when anyone would reach out to jack they would and Jack would in turn say, "Hey, call Grant, call Grant," and it just kind of mushroomed from there. Yeah, and Jack, Jack Hanna, by the way, the famous uh, Jack Hanna. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's funny too because I'll see you on some TV shows, and it's like I'll I'll recognize the animals. I'm like, "Oh, that's Curly yeah. the alligator. He's with Robert yeah. Irwin." Like, "Oh my God, that's Celine the sloth." Anyway, it's just interesting. So, audience, we won't get into that because we talked all last week just regarding animals and talk shows, and that's like I said, that was a fascinating interview. And I have to say, my mom's said it was one of her favorite interviews and she is a harsh critic oh wow she was oh, like i really good. she's like i really like Grant." she's like that was one of my favorite interviews i was like i'll tell him that's fantastic yeah, i only got to meet her once but she seemed like a very very oh, yes good person. and after hearing that extremely knowledgeable too i have to say oh my god i forgot you guys met what a small world it was on the today show yeah just once a long time ago a uh long but, time uh, ago Seemed like a wonderful woman, and uh, and like I said, you know, with with that being her one of her favorite interviews, I, I have to say she sounds incredibly intelligent. <laughs> no, you're just well spoken, and I just it's it's interesting. So, you how many animals do you currently care for? You know, once again, just rough estimate. I always say about two hundred, but oh my God. you know, when you start adding everything up, and you know, basically every living thing tallies on that side of every day it need what's it need you know uh, food water clean i mean you know it's probably even more than that i mean you know like like you know i'm i'm a marine aquarist and, and in my fish tanks alone you know there's probably 60 marine fish uh you know so when you start really adding everything up, it's probably a few hundred animals. And you could say, well, you know, a fish tank, but that fish tank, man, I'll tell you, it, it requires just as much care and being on top of everything as anything else on this property. 
Oh, yeah. So, but tell people, I mean, you're being very modest. Like, people are like, oh, this is a fish expert. I mean, you have, like, <laughs> lions and tigers and bears and wolves and, like, a mandrel. You have so many animals. I can't even get over it. Yeah, I mean, technically, you know, running through it all, you know, fish, amphibians, uh, arthropods, to take one small step back from there, okay. reptiles, birds, mammals, uh not we don't get too much into like the large hoofstock type animals although my my in-laws who are right around the corner for me that's that's their specialty and they have zebras and camels and eland and oryx and wildebeest and uh oh goodness uh, owl dad all kinds of different things so hoofstock type animals we have munchak deer um some uh you know various species of uh you know, wild pig um which you know that's kind of strays a little bit in the hoofstock, but large carnivores. Once again, you know, bears, wolves, big cats, uh, small cats as well. Primates, which range from your prosimians, you know, your lemurs, all the way up to your largest monkey, your mandrel. Uh, we don't delve into apes at all, and there's a good reason for that. We <laughs> we like having all of our limbs and digits and surviving. Uh, Let's see, uh, you know, birds of prey, I'm a master falconer, so, you know, I hunt with raptors. Uh, you hunt with raptors? Yeah, yeah, I'm a master falconer. Really? Now, do you act, yeah. You go out and have them, like, catch hares and stuff and rabbits? and? Yes, depending upon what you're hunting with. You know, when you hunt with falcons, that's more aerial prey you're going after. Uh, game birds like duck and pheasant and grouse and quail, uh, which I'm not a big falcon guy uh being in pennsylvania where we live it's not necessarily the most conducive for that uh guys that live out west in the big open plains that's an easier place to hunt with falcons uh i'm, I'm what in falconry terms you call a dirt bagger <laughs> that's a guy that hunts with hawks like red tail and harris hawk you know going after things like uh rabbit and squirrel things like that Oh, my God. Be, being a master falconer, I can actually hunt with golden eagles, which is which is something I really want to do before, you know, uh, I, I wind up ending, uh, you know, which I, I don't think I'll ever end until I'm in the ground. But that presents a little bit of a challenge because a golden eagle, you know, in Mongolia, uh, the falconers there will hunt uh wolves and full-size deer like you see around here of course it's a different species but animals in that size range with golden eagles so hence the problem when you're in a kind of a populated area uh and you're out hunting with your golden eagle and your golden eagle sees someone's german shepherd oh my god it could go very very badly so uh you know but before all said and done i that's definitely a road i want to go down yeah and they're pretty hard to acquire aren't they golden eagles um yeah, I mean, as a master falconer, you have you 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 have options open to you. But uh, for the average person, yeah, like actually, if I were to want to use a golden eagle in my educational programs, that is an incredibly hard road to go down. There are just so many things built up against it. But for falconry, it's different. You know, falconry, it's a it's it's a different. Um, you know, not not as many complications. Okay, okay. So you're a master falconer. What else do you have? Uh, leopards. Um, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was, uh, I'm a beekeeper, which is something I've wanted to do for a very long time. And uh, I, I can't stress enough, if, if anyone is into animals and you want to, you have the ability to experience bees, which, you know, there's very few instances where you can't. I mean, if you're living in an apartment, probably isn't going to happen. But 
you know, even a single family home in a residential neighborhood, you can set them up. And it is just one of the most fascinating things. It's an art. It's a science. Um, the bees are just fascinating, incredible animals and, and very helpful, obviously. Everyone knows their ability as pollinators and, you know, to, 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 to support them and have them in your own backyard uh, just makes everything flourish, you know, from fruits and flowering trees and plants. So, you know, go, you know, go out there and do it. Yeah, I just, how do you have time? Oh, and, and I guess we have to also mention reptiles, snakes, alligators. Oh, my God. Yeah. Crocodilians, uh, snakes, which venomous snakes were my first love and still are. Um, I've had venomous for over 30 years and uh, just have a real passion for just even venomous animals in general. I find them very fascinating. I think it's incredible that these extremely complex biological substances in the most tiny, minute amounts can do such tremendous damage which, you know, I experienced that myself firsthand about 25 years ago. I was at a feeding bite from a, you know, monocle cobra and, you know, for all practical purposes, died in the emergency room. You know, it was flatlining and, you know, they were putting mirrors under my nose to see if I was still breathing. Had tremendous tissue damage in my leg where they didn't think I would keep my leg. And if I did, I wouldn't be able to use it properly. I just have to kind of drag it behind me. Um, I took a year off after that. Well, I'd hope was... so. But wait, wait, wait. Okay, so you almost died. Yes. How could and you and you still just went back to it? Like, explain yeah. that. I, I was young enough where, like, all my relatives came to the hospital to, in essence, watch me die. You know that. Oh my I, god! I I I was dying i mean like once again when they're putting mirrors under your nose to see if you're still breathing yeah it's it, it's, it's very simplistic but that's the stage that i was at and uh you know my my grandparents uh my, my parents came down and you know i mean once again i'm, I'm sure everyone was just envisioning this is going to be the last time that we see them so there was a sense of guilt on my part that i put everyone through that and uh and a, and a slight sense on my part of you know, I don't know if I want to experience that again, <laughs> but after a year, I just, it, 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 it's in me. It's something I love. It's something I'm always going to be fascinated with. And I, and I couldn't keep my back turned to it. So I went back to venomous snakes and, and I've had them ever since and, uh, use them in some of my programs. I mean, obviously not like a child's birthday party, but you know, like <laughs> some of bigger programs where, you know, we're on a stage and we're set back away from the audience. Um, I think it's an extremely important grouping of animals in that they're so persecuted, so misunderstood. You know, I've worked with some extremely venomous snakes. And what I find with just about all of them, and this goes for about any wild animal, is like if you give them half a chance to just get away from you and you give them an avenue where they can get away from you, that's that's all they want to do. They just want to escape you. Um you know, if you're handling them and, and, and they feel cornered or threatened, of course, they're going to react. But most people on this planet feel extremely justified to kill a venomous snake. I mean, you know, like they do no one give they... you crap about that. But uh, it, it's just it, they're such important animals. It's so unlikely that you're going to come in contact with one. And if you do, once again, all they want to do is get away. I mean, look at a rattlesnake. The whole purpose of that rattle is to mm. notify you. This is my position. Don't come over here. And uh, so I, I but, you know, on on top of the destructive nature of them, now we're finding all kinds of potential medical uses for them, mm. you know, and, and it's a very small area. But even the, 
you know, the, the, as small as it is, the people that work in this area are coming up with new and novel ideas on how to use these extremely complex, sometimes very focused um, abilities that these venoms have to to use them positively in human medicine. Yeah, I can I be honest with you? I don't want to offend you, but I <laughs> I have never been a venomous dude. I feel like I'd be dead already. I'm just not people ask me it's like a number one question I'll get at a live show like why do you have any venomous animals? And I guess I could count my tarantulas and then new re- recently they've said that you know my savanna monitors are mildly yeah. venomous. That's nothing yeah. that's nothing well, compared to a cobra. I will tell you this uh, there was a day, uh, and this is a rare day. I mean, as you do this for a long period of time, you you get bit less and less and less. Yes, that is true. Get, <laughs> yeah, you get smarter and you realize, like, that wasn't a good, smart thing to do. You know, when you're young and you start out in this, you're full of testosterone, you know, you're, you're bulletproof, you're indestructible, and you do stupid crap that gets you bit and stung and everything else. But as you go down the road, you learn, like, that was really dumb, don't do that again. But I had one day, and this is maybe 10 years ago, where I was stung on my left hand by an emperor scorpion, which I've been using that species for 30 years in programs. And it's not I, it's supposed to hurt. <laughs> well, I, I like this. Like, when I get stung by a bee, I think it works, hurts worse than a sting from an emperor scorpion. But on that same exact day, I was bitten by a, a baby water monitor. A baby oh. water monitor. But yeah. it broke the skin. And when I went to bed that night, I had a tingling sensation that was starting to move up my hand and my arm on my right arm, the arm that I was bitten by the monitor on. My left hand, which was stung by the scorpion, the the, the, the pain was already gone. There was no swelling. There was no nothing. And before I went to bed, I told my wife, Jamie, I said, if for some reason, and I'm not saying that I think this is going to happen, but. I, I know what envenomation feels like. This was long after the cobra bite. And I was like. If I, if I don't wake up in the morning for some reason, I'm not expecting that, but let everyone know that it was that baby water monitor that did me in. And I took a Benadryl and I went to bed and I woke up the next day with no ill effects. And, you know, but once again, I could feel the venom moving its way up my arm. And, and I, it, 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 it was quite astounding to me. I mean, like I, I couldn't believe that that tiny little animal and an animal that sold like, you know, we, we know, I mean, in, in the, in the herp trade, um, it's a popular animal that people have. And, uh, you know, but there was a, there was a slight envenomation from it. So I, I can tell you firsthand it's there. Yeah. And it's, I was at Petco yesterday getting crickets and I saw a baby Savannah monitor and I was like, it's so funny. Like, I, I don't think I, it's not common knowledge that they are mildly venomous. This is like new research within the last 10 years has come. And not that it's going to kill you, but they have the venom in their lower um, grooves in their mouth. Anyway, it was just fascinating. I had a, I had a venom well, expert on um, talking about that and it just was fascinating. Well, I mean, a lot of people don't realize that the animal that's responsible for the most deaths, most human deaths on the planet, it's a venomous animal and every one of us has been bitten by it. And that, of course, is the mosquito. <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of animals that you really don't think of that are venomous. I mean, every species of octopus is venomous. Every coral is venomous. Every arachnid, you know, which is your spider scorpions, yeah. mites, ticks, venomous. Uh, you know, there, there are 
venomous birds. There are venomous mammals, you know. You Primates. Know, white... There's the slow loris, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is crazy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I'll tell you, there, there's an incredible book. Uh, the, the author is Christy Wilcox. Okay. And um, it's called Venomous Animals. And it is, it to me, it's the Bible. It, she does such a tremendous job. You should look into having her on your show. I'm writing it down. She, she is so technical and at the same time able to to break down so that you can understand the complexities of these venoms and the, and the different groupings. I mean, uh, it, it, it's an incredible book. Hey, I, I reckon. You have I, any interest in venomous animals? I have to go back because full disclosure, I was like agreeing with you like, oh yeah, mosquitoes are venomous. I had no idea. Grant, and entomology yeah. was my favorite class yeah. in college. He, wait, wait, wait. They never mentioned mosquitoes were venomous. Now, I know a lot of people don't realize mosquitoes are, are, are a type of fly. That's my fun fact. But you're saying... Okay, good. Okay, so I don't feel like a complete idiot. But no, they're yeah. in the family Diptera. If that, I'm probably yeah. butchering that. Okay, but mosquitoes are venomous. Mosquitoes are venomous. Leeches, uh, vampire bats. I mean, any animal that is what what's it called? Uh, homeophagus. Um, I might be getting that wrong, but uh, <laughs> you're gonna have biology people like that's so wrong. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, animals that uh, basically specialize in drinking blood. Um, they're all venomous. Do they have I mean, to numb it? Is that what you're saying when they bite? Numbing and anticoagulants that, uh, you know, keep the blood flowing. Um, you know, you figure for a mosquito, like for them to land on a large animal like us and start taking our life source, our blood, you know, they have to do it very stealth, you know, and that and the venoms start to numb you once again, uh, you know, the uh, anticoagulants that keep the blood flowing so it doesn't clot. Um and, and yeah, I, I mean, just the insect world is one of the most fascinating things. I mean, if, when, you, when you delve into it, as you know, I mean, if it's something you were into, it, it, it's like you're looking at something from Mars. Yes. It's just crazy world. Did you know that only the female mosquitoes bite you? Yes, I did know okay, that. Okay, thank God. Okay. They're affected <laughs> carbon dioxide. And uh, let's see what else. Uh, and by the I way, think, I, I'm, I'm not trying to stump you. I just was curious if you knew that fact. I was like, I, I, but I did. I did know good. that. I did. Good. Okay. So people, okay. People are tuning in. They're like, wait, they're going down a rabbit hole with mosquitoes. Yes, I'm sure yes. a lot of people want to know, like, what is it like? First of all, how did you get involved, you know, taking care of all these animals? Like what was like, how did you get involved? Because a lot of people are like, how in the world do you grow up one day and own tigers and bears and wolves? And I'm you know, like tell us just briefly, like how that came to be. I mean, and yeah, my, probably my story is very untraditional. And I would assume that most people probably apprentice with someone or work at a zoo. And me, I kind of just started out on my own and filled in the blanks. I mean, I would go out and I would seek out people. I wouldn't work for them, but I would, I would pick their brain. I would look at what they do and, and, you know, and, I, you know, you, you can find someone who is a complete idiot and does everything wrong and you'll learn something from them. Even if it's just like, don't do that, you'll learn something from them. And, and of course, you know, when you, when you jump into something and I'm not saying I've ever, you know, went, worked with an animal that I learned on the fly or had no idea about, you know, but, uh, I, I just, I, 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 I didn't have any direction from someone per se, you know, whatever animal I worked with would just be something that 
I would find interesting and unique. I mean, like, yeah, I, I didn't have a family member. I didn't have a close friend. I just went down that road on my own. And, you know, when my wife came on board, you know, she was a she was a labor and delivery nurse and, and left being that to come and work with me. And, you know, we both just we I don't want to say learn as we go, because we don't, like I said, jump into anything blindly. But we're students of these animals and if you were able to live 200 years and you did nothing but work with these animals you would at that 200 year mark still be learning you know there's there's never a point where you know everything animals throw you curveballs all the time you have individual personalities and you have even an individual animal they change over the course of their life i mean one thing that i think maybe the the, the thing that's most striking to people is when they see our animals and let's say lions and tigers and wolves and bears and that kind of stuff and the primates, the stuff we work with is more dangerous than the wild counterparts that, you know, these species, because our animals, they have no fear of humans, but they still have hormones and instincts. And those things ruin the day in the sense that these animals are not pets. Exactly the, uh, the opposite. So if you, if you're around an animal from the time they're young, you, you, that animal grows up knowing you, you know it, you, you, you see how their personality develops. But if you don't have experience with that, it can catch you off guard when you have those hormonal shifts. Like my lion, for instance, I knew what was going to happen when he hit age five, which was going to be a surge in testosterone. That is nature's way of priming him for the inevitable fight that's going to come in the wild with another male lion. It's a deadly fight. It's an intense fight that he has to be so blinded with rage through testosterone that he doesn't even think of his own well-being. It's going to be his only shot at taking over a pride, breeding with the females and carrying on his genes. So that intensity carries over to me because there's not another male lion around for him to challenge or fight, but there's me. And I, I grew up with him and we were like this. We were bestest, bestest buddies in the world. But luckily, once again, I knew what to expect at age five. At age five, he started getting very aggressive towards anyone else that was near me. And now he's about eight. And he comes over every day to see me. Now, I, I don't have direct contact with him because that would be foolish. But he comes over to see me and he's making happy lion sounds. And then literally within two minutes, he wants to kill me. And there's an intensity in him that... Like, yeah, it's freaky. I mean, when we do a tour, a private tour, I tell the people, like I, I explain exactly what we're talking about. And you see their jaws drop because you see this animal go from like rawr, rawr, and rubbing like a house cat does up against where I am to like, rawr. I mean, sounds that there's just no, you know, no doubt on that. If I was standing next to him, he would kill me. Now, what's funny is he doesn't do this with my wife because being a woman, he doesn't view, really view her the same way. So I can't tell you whether that lion thinks that he's human or I'm a lion, but he will interact with me the way that he would with another male lion. And another male lion's built for it. I'm not. I have very thin skin. I'm extremely weak in comparison to him. And he would go through me like a, like a hot knife through butter. And uh, that's where someone can make a huge mistake you know, with mammals, birds, and, you know, sometimes even reptiles like iguanas, you know, oh my uh, God. Iguanas, as you, yeah, as you know, they can, 
uh, when the males hit maturity and go into their breeding season, they can be a very aggressive towards humans. Not a lot of other probably reptile uh, examples in that regard, but that's one of the biggest things that, you know, blows people away. Like, oh, you know, I would think if I had a baby tiger and I raised it from a baby and I loved it and showed it how much I love it, it's going to grow up and love me. And it's like, not really, <laughs> you know, like it, it's, it's probably not going to go that way. Yeah. And can we talk a little bit? Cause I know you have the proper permits and licensing. Cause I just, we, we need to talk about it too, because it's such a slippery slope when you get into people privately owning big cats and bears and wolves. And, and I always, you know, would say that, you know, I, I don't agree with it. But then I look at people like you who, you know, I've been to your place. I've seen your facility. I've seen what you do with the animals. And it's like, there are exceptions. But I mean, do you agree with people owning these animals as pets? No, not not when we're talking about bears and wolves and big cats and primates, not one bit. And that, of course, is the conundrum, because what separates me from some guy that wants to get a tiger and keep it in his house or in his backyard or in a, you know, a trailer park, you know, just some situation that is not going to happen. Um, the, the biggest difference between someone like us uh, and, you know, somebody and there's a whole misconception with people today they think that you can go online order a tiger and fedex is going to deliver it to your door no that's not true there are four states that don't have state mandate licensing or just outright prohibitions on wild or exotic animals texas (laughs) texas which texas does have um restrictions on native animals but non-native animals yes it's 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 wide open uh south carolina uh what what are the other two uh it has to be in the south somewhere or is it arkansas well it could be but you know it's funny because uh i get updates on you know proposed laws in arkansas even arkansas like states that you might not think would have anything like the deep south like alabama and arkansas they do have restrictions and they're constantly trying to add restrictions and of course, my problem is I'm a zoo. I am proper light, properly licensed. But when they make these laws, I can kind of get steamrolled in that the sometimes the only exemption that they give is for AZA accredited zoos. And those are only going to be your biggest zoos. And AZA is, an, is a membership organization that you belong to and they have guidelines and they have bylaws and it's a and it's an extremely good and well-needed organization but they're but they don't have regulatory ability you know that the, the, the common denominator between myself and an AZA zoo is USDA and so for lawmakers you know they're quick to put give the AZA exemption but it, it doesn't include me. And and there is an absolute distinction between me and once again, some guy who wants to have a tiger and walk it down the, the block so that he impresses everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's something that we're always worried about and fighting. And, uh, you know, I belong to, you know, an organization called ZAA, you know, which is kind of an offshoot of AZA, uh, but it doesn't hold the same political uh, you know, power that AZA does. AZA has been around forever. And, and once again, a fantastic organization, the gold standard, but only the biggest zoos, you know, can belong to that with a lot of the, you know, uh, just uh, the, the way they're set up, I guess. Yeah. <clears throat> That's so interesting. Where do you, where do you acquire some of these animals? Cause a lot of people ask me, 
you know, um, you know, regarding my animals, the majority of mine are rescues, like with, with my alligators. And by the way, I'm with you. I tell people when I do my lives, these do not make good pets. They're expensive. They're, I, I, they're dangerous. I could just go on and on about that. But where do you acquire the majority of your animals? I mean, we don't really concentrate on breeding, but we've had animals born here. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, three leopards that are here that were born here, uh, a bear that was born here. Um, a rough estimate off the top of my head, about 40% of our animals are what you, what what would fall into rescue or non-releasable injured or orphaned animals. So all of almost all of our North American wildlife, uh, raccoons and skunks and possums and uh, otters and beavers and badgers and mm -hmm. foxes were orphaned or injured in the wild. And, and uh, you know, the great majority of our birds of prey uh, or injured and, and are non-releasable. The other 60% are going to be traditional zoo type animals. And, you know, for, for someone out there listening, if you see an animal that's from a different part of the world, uh, that's not native to North America, uh, it was born here in the United States. Uh, very few animals are imported. Uh, that is not the norm. Uh, most countries do not allow export of their animals. And even the very few that do, it's very small quotas and very specific. And it's usually going to be big zoos that are looking to increase their, uh, their, their, their breeding stock, their bloodlines. So with that said, there's never going to be an instance where, like, let's say we have a tiger and so, some guy down the street bought this tiger and was like, oh, my God, what am I doing? It, you know, it, it's too big now. Will you take it? That's just not a thing. As well as you're not going to see a tiger here in the U S because it was injured in India and you know, it, 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 it uh, couldn't be taken care of. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, when you go to other parts of the world, rescue and rehabs are far and few between, you know, when I was in South Africa, there's one rescue slash rehabber for all of South Africa. It's called Mahala Hala. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. So what, what, what are the odds that, you know, an animal is going to wind up there, you know, in South Africa's, you know, a, very uh, you know fairly well developed country but even with that like you know one rescue rehabber i mean i guess there's a there's a, a few cheetah rehabbers when you're talking about species like you know just that take in uh any species there's just not many i mean i was in brazil uh the zoos there and only the biggest zoos they will double as rescue rehabbers but otherwise you don't have a lot of that you know so in in places of the world where you have some of the richest biodiversity uh, unfortunately you have some of the most extreme poverty and poverty is going to be the greatest obstacle for animals in the wild you know like those natural resources in in in, in situations where there's a lot of poverty need and are taken by people who are just literally trying to survive and animals that do become injured or orphaned, I mean, their their needs are so far down on the scale of, you know, Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs that, uh, you know, a human's needs are going to come first. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you, you can only care for animals like we do in this country because we are so rich and affluent and are able to take care of ourselves. And... Uh, and even with that, you know, I mean, like I, I, I get called this time of year, I get calls literally daily. People find a nest of birds, uh, a, a fawn, a baby deer that, you know, mom doesn't seem to be around. I mean, like mm. constantly. And I have to explain it to them. So even in our country, you know, very few people know the system. There's 
I'm in the, I'm in the Pittsburgh area, which is a, a you know a big city. There's only a handful of people that do this, and this time of year they're overwhelmed. They get no money from anyone. Everything is, you know, donations, um, and and they are just overwhelmed. They, you know, right now they're going to be looking at 300 baby songbirds and you know 200 baby chipmunks and squirrels that are orphaned that they got to try and deal with and take care of. So, you know, animals just as much as we think we love them, <laughs> you know. Even here in the U.S., you know, they they, they, mm-hmm. they they are way down on the rungs of the ladder as far as, you know, care goes. Mm-hmm. So you said 40% are going to be rescues. So 60% would they be from zoo, zoological facilities yeah. or, okay. Situations where, you know, they might be born at another facility that's exactly like ours. Um, you know, even some situations where a legitimate licensed entity can't, well, I, I have a wolf. Uh, mm-hmm. She is an Arctic gray wolf, beautiful girl. She was at a zoo, part of a pack for her whole entire life. And one day the pack, uh, I don't, I don't want to use the word turned on her, but you know, there, there was, there was a fight and she might've been a low, low ranking member and she was severely injured and had a permanent limp. Mm. And the zoo very fearful of keeping her on display because if you have an animal that has a limp like that, people are like, oh, my God, you know, and mm. I don't understand it. I, you know, if I was a zoo open to the public like that, I had animals injured. I would explain why and that, you know, like we don't want to give up on the animal, so to speak. But the zoo was concerned and they asked me, will I take her? And so she had a perfectly good home with the situation, the dynamic that changed, which, which this happens in the wild. But in a captive setting, you have to manage it. Because mm-hmm. in the wild, that animal might be forced to leave the pack and go off and become a lone wolf, more than likely never joining another pack and spending her whole life just in, in, a, in a bad situation where she's roaming through other packs' territories, risking being caught and killed, as opposed to, once again, being asked, hey, join in on our pack. So, you know, in, in a captive setting, it's like, we need to send her someplace else. Luckily, my situation was such that I had two brothers. I didn't have a female. I knew that they would accept her, but the cost was that these two boys that I used to be able to work, uh, you know, I worked these animals on a regular basis. They, they accepted her and they were great with her, but they, uh, it, it changed their dynamic with me. Mm-hmm. Like one of the boys now became very attached to her and it was at my expense, you know, so now I have a kind of a relationship with him where I really got to watch him because he's protective of her and he views me as once again, a, an outsider, a threat. Um, and I knew that was going to happen, but mm-hmm. the dynamic was great for them to have another buddy, a part of their wolf pack, a female, which kind of completes the whole picture. Um, so I knew that it was not going to be the best thing for me, but it was going to be the best thing for them. And so we did it. Yeah, I just I'm fascinated with the large carnivores because I don't have any large carnivores. Like, what is that like, man? Like, is it's there, dangerous. I, I would assume so. Is there is there like a difference between taking care of the bears and you have black bears, right? You don't have a grizzly bear, do you? Don't have grizzly bears. And, you know, I, it's something I would love to do. And, and you know, guys that I know that are bear guys like that's all they do are bears Mm -hmm. um they really like the grizzly bears more than the black bears in the sense that 
Grizzlies are, even though they're huge and the, the power, the ability to kill you is just overwhelming, they're a little bit more laid back in certain ways. You know, bears in general just have horrible tempers. You know, if they don't get their way, it's like an atomic bomb going off. You know, the, the, the only good thing about it, though, is that, like if, if like my black bear comes at me because she's upset that she's not getting whatever it is that she wants in that moment and she's taking it out on you, if you can just get away from her, that's okay. If, if let's say, a, a big cat like a tiger is coming after you, like they want to kill you, they're not going to – that's not going to leave their head. <laughs> you know, like they're going to try and kill you. But a bear, like I said, uh, you know, bears make this – black bears make this cute little sound. You know, it's really cute. And it's like, oh, that sounds so cute. That's a precursor to I'm about to kick your ass because there's something you have that I want. And, you know, once again, you better give it to them very, very quickly or, you know, it's boom. It's a mushroom cloud going off. But you can weather that. If you just give them what they want, you know, then the threat goes away. So there's that aspect with the with the bear where, once again, a tiger looks at you. There's, there's a look that a cat will give you when you know things are about to go really south. And it's almost like a direct eye contact where they literally start to just focus so tight in on you and and they literally do this they literally just like lurch forward and they're just staring you right in the eye and you know because i've had mountain lions do this where i've been attacked you know tigers uh where you know i was able to get away but um you know that that is a precursor to that animal is is going to try and kill you and i've had it i've had it happen to me more with mountain lions than anything really yeah mountain lions are a cat that they used to be a real kind of almost beginner cat, you know, people like, you know, look at them as, uh, you know, a, a cat that you learn on. But I, I find them to be a very, very difficult cat in the sense that they, you know, they, they, they don't have any, they don't hold back, you know, like if, if they're, if they're going to come at you and, you know, for a cat that's not terribly big, you know, they will, you know, they will look to take you down and they sometimes will do it by jumping up on you. Sometimes they'll do it coming under you. Um, you know, they're just, they're, 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 they're a cat that I, yeah, I've probably been come the closest to being severely injured by, um, you know, guys that work with tigers, you know, tigers can be really, really, really good cats up until the time that they kill you. Oh, my <laughs> you know, God. That, you know, meaning that, like, they seem like they're the best cat in the world until they just it's like, oh, my God, they, they you know, just just killed me. Uh, lions, you know, all, most lions are fantastic and just, you know, they have that social side to them when they're young. Oh my God, they're like a dog and they just want to hang around you. But then when the hormones, you know, hormonal change comes, uh, you know, then there's an intensity in them that, and, 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 you know, you know, I've been around zebras and wildebeest and, you know, a lot, a lot of, you know, I have leopards, leopards are my favorite hyenas. Um, so a lot of African savanna animals are some of the most intense animals on the, on the planet. And especially when you're working with them because in the wild, the African savanna is such an intense and competitive place. 
it's why lions are the way that they are. Most guys that are big cat trainers, they're, they either love leopards and they're their favorite, or it's the one cat they won't work with. And I think that, you know, for me, they're, they're my favorite. They're, why are they your favorite? Uh, because if it's a good leopard, they're, they're good. You know, like it, you know, we're, we're, where the tiger is seems like it's fantastic and every day is wonderful. And this tiger just seems like the greatest thing until that one day where it, it doesn't just come at you, but it kills you. The leopard is just pretty even plain. Like if it's a good leopard, it's good. If it's a bad leopard, it's bad. And it's always going to be bad and you're not going to be able to deal with it and work with it. Um, you know, just, but you know, hyenas, I mean, you, you, you just think of it, you know, an African Savannah, you have rhino, elephant, hippo, um, Cape Buffalo, you know, lions, tigers, uh, not tigers, I'm sorry, you know, lions, <laughs> leopards, hyenas. I mean, man, that is just, you know, that is a massive amount of teeth and power and hoof and horn that, you know, is just looking to do you in if you're, if, if you're a predator trying to take them down or, you know, I mean, a giraffe, as cute as they are, I mean, you know, they can kill a lion with a kick. You know, an ostrich, we have ostriches. An ostrich can kill a lion with a kick. So just on an African savanna, if you're a, let's say you're a laid-back zebra, <laughs> your dinner, you know, you've got to, I mean, I refer to zebras as a horse on methamphetamine, you know, and that's just because they have to be. I, you, zebras you, are mean, aren't they? I hear they're really mean. I mean, when I, when I think of the term mean, I think of an animal that's going to come up and do damage to you or attempt to do damage to you for no reason. And in that regard, I wouldn't say zebras are mean. This is, we're, this is purely semantical. Um, you know, a, 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 an animal that, and I wouldn't care, I wouldn't even characterize it as mean. And it's a species I've never dealt with, but I'm actually considering going down this rabbit hole. But a black mamba. Oh, you know, my gosh. You're, you're, that, that's one of the few animals on this planet and probably the only snake species that has been documented to attack basically unprovoked. And uh, I've been doing a lot of investigating and, and looking into, like, if I'm going to go down this road, like, you know, how I'm going to do it. And I, and I would do it in a manner where I literally have zero contact with the animal. I would not try and handle it in any way, shape or form. Um, but. You know, but look at the look at the black mamba. Where does it live? You know, basically the African savanna, the African plains. So, just once again, such a competitive place with all the megafauna, the super carnivores. You you've got to be that way. You know, I mean, leopards pound for pound. That's the most powerful cat on the planet. It's the most intense cat because they're smaller and solitary, mm -hmm. and they're competing with lions and hyenas that are larger and social. You know, that's why they utilize the trees, you know, stay out of the way of lions and hyenas. That's that's their that's their their, uh, you know, their uh, safe zone, you know, so to speak. So, you know, but you've got to know all this. You know, you've got to know all this. You've got to know the background of why. Like, um, I, I, I have a jaguar. And you have a jaguar? Yeah. And, it, and it's the most dangerous animal that that I, that I have. And I, I used him. I, I worked with him directly for about three or four years, uh, used him in my shows, you know, handled him. And, uh, the, the person that worked for me that backed me up, he took a job in mm -hmm. California. And when that mm -hmm. happened, I basically had to just hang up working with the Jaguar because I couldn't bring a new person in at that point as a backup, because I know the Jaguar would you know want to kill that person. Mm -hmm. But the, but the strange thing about jaguars, 
in the wild, they never attack humans. It's, it's unheard of that they attack humans. They're very bold and they investigate humans that are in their area, mm-hmm. but they just don't attack you know, where leopards and tigers and lions have been documented, you know, man killers and man eaters uh, in, in rare instances. But, you know, the, the, mm. the individual animals that decide I'm going to I'm going to dine on humans once they do it. Boom. They, they, they that's all they want to look for and do because they, they figured that we're slow and we're weak. But jaguars just don't do that. Well, in a captive setting where once again, you're crossing that bridge where mm. you're working directly with that animal so that animal doesn't have that built-in fear of you i found it to be the most intense and dangerous animal that i've ever had it's the only animal like i have darting equipment you know drugs that we keep on hand but it literally was the only animal that someone would have a weapon on them a weapon to use deadly force if need be if something were to happen, in other words, if that animal were to escape, the protocol would be probably, you know, I mean, you wouldn't just assign that without looking at the exact situation, but, you know, deadly force might be the first option that's looked at as opposed to darting, you know, because darting is not like what you see in the movies where an animal's hit with a dart, it takes two steps and it falls down. And most animals, if they're out of an enclosure, they're kind of like, whoa, I'm not comfortable. I want back in that enclosure. Mm-hmm. That, that's their mindset. That's their reaction. But we knew that this jaguar, if he were to get out of an enclosure or, you know, some situation, he would look to kill us. <laughs> you know? Oh, my God. That's terrifying. Well, it is. And it's, and it's, once again, such a strange thing from an animal that in the wild has such a passive and non-confrontational with humans, you know, ability. Now, I've talked to researchers who, who get dropped in remote areas in the Amazon. Uh, one was an ornithologist, mm. and he would tell me that he knew he was the only human in the area. And so when he would get dropped, he would walk into the forest, and he would do his study, he would do his work, and then when he would leave, he would come out the same way because he'd come back to the same landing spot where the helicopter would pick him up. And almost always there would be jaguar tracks over his footprints, meaning that the entire time that he was doing his thing and walking around, there was a jaguar tracking him. But I I was actually in the Pantanal with jaguar researchers. I was lucky enough to be invited because there were actually two human fatalities. And it was such a strange thing that they were investigating this, trying to figure out why did when they didn't know if it was one or two jaguars, One was a fisherman, one was a tourist that were killed. Well, what they learned ultimately was this park in which the jaguars lived were roaming to the edges, which bordered where uh, tourists would come on these sightseeing boats. And these sightseeing boats, to increase the likelihood for the tourists to see a jaguar, were baiting the banks with Mm. piranha and things like that, things that the jaguar would come out and eat. So in essence, what they were doing was habituating these jaguars to human presence. And it and it's funny because it didn't take much for them to cross that line then mm. and, you know, mm. kill humans. Uh, in, in one instance, the jaguar jumped up from the bank and snatched a child off the boat. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Pretty incredible. But once again, 
Jaguars left on their own, you know, no one's baiting them, no one's, you know, interacting with them, and they're perfectly content to just leave us alone, not not kill us and eat us. So your Jaguar, by the way, what is your Jaguar's name? Tio. So he, okay, so he, Tio. So so he's completely hands off. Yes. <laughs> you don't. I mean, he, he would kill me in two seconds. And it's and what's funny is like, if there were a group of twenty people standing there, and 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 he loved me. He loved me. You know, like when we were growing up, I was his buddy. And uh, but if you if you if you lined up twenty people and let him go, he would come kill me the first. Why? I, I wish that I could answer that question. If for someone you. like listening, I, I just is probably like wondering why I just, Oh my God. I just, yeah. I mean, and, 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 you know, and that, and that like, that, you know, we go back to like, if someone is killed or injured, you know, by one of these types of animals in a captive setting, sometimes you'll hear people be like, Oh, they were, they were mad because they were abused or this and that. No, no. Like that, that's, you know, like let's say some guy in a circus that's a, a lion tamer, trainer, whatever. Mm-hmm. The, the, the lion is doing what a captive male lion in that age bracket will do, which is to kick your ass. I mean, Salmoni, you know, the, the worst Salmoni, yeah. had was a male lion that was in that age range. And once again, you know, they're just blinded with testosterone. I mean, you know, our lion we could have curtailed a lot of this aggression if we had neutered him, but mm. he'll lose his mane. His mane will fall out. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Which I knew that, but okay. That may, okay. And you don't want his yeah. mane to fall out. If you were to give hormone injections to a lioness, yeah. she will in turn grow a mane. And it's not going to be big and luxurious like a male, but, but, but anyway, so, but that's the kind of thing that like, really makes a huge divide a huge gulf between someone like myself that's aware of these things and someone that's going to be quote learning it on the go uh you know buying a baby jaguar you know that's that's why it it can't be legal you know for just anyone to have animals like that and then and then you might say well like what about a serval a bobcat those animals are smaller and can do less damage quote but I find small cats to be harder to deal with than the big cats. Really? In, yeah, think about it. You're a serval. You're living on an African savanna. We already talked about how competitive that is. Now you're a serval. You're part of the Felidae family. You're a you're a successful and skilled hunter. But guess what? Uh, you know, birds of prey like large eagles, lions, leopards, hyenas, they will kill and eat you. You're at the bottom of the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah, you know, hunting dogs. I mean, all these animals will make a meal out of you, so your head's got to be on a swivel too. You can't. You're not. You're not walking through the tall savanna grasses like a lion. You're freaked out. You're watching every little thing mm-hmm. that's going on, and that that, you know, that personality is such that, you know, even removed from an African savanna, like in your house, that's still what the animal's personality is going to be. It's a little bit high strung, a little bit flighty. Um, and you, you know, you, I, I've seen servals that are like that. I've seen servals that have really nice personalities, but you know, uh, you know, some of the, you know, some of the worst incidents I've ever had, you know, with cats have been with small species of cat. <laughs> really? That's yeah. so fascinating. That's, oh my goodness. Do you have 
like a favorite large carnivore to work with? I guess you just said leopard was your favorite. Leopards are my favorite cat, but I love hyenas, spotted That's hyenas. Said, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. They are so damn intelligent. I mean, their intelligence is up there in the primate realm. Um, the vocalizations they make uh, when they're young, uh, the intensity and the relationship mm-hmm. you have with them. Uh, my female hyena, her name is Giggles. Uh, we grew <laughs> up, and that animal just, like, I was her whole world. And I loved her to death. I mean, everyone else in my world had to be very careful. She wouldn't necessarily be aggressive to other people, but in my presence, it was it's a weird thing. Like, she was almost protective of me. Hmm. Like, she would literally back her butt to touch me and face any other human, and she would just growl at them. Like, you know, it's like, you know, and I'm not an anthropomorphic kind of person but Mm -hmm. you couldn't just help but feel that it was a you know a a jealousy towards other people intertwined with uh you know just it, it, it was just a relationship that was very special but here's the funny thing it all changed one day we had a puppy it was a guard dog species and I went up to say hi to the puppy. Giggles was vocalizing, wanting me to come say hi to her. Mm-hmm. But along the way was this puppy who was running up to say hi to me. And I, and I stopped short and I said hi to the puppy. And before I walked up to her, now she's in an enclosure. Yeah. And I heard her vocalizations change the minute that I started touching this puppy. Like her vocalizations became aggressive. And I thought, boy, that's strange. I looked around. There's no one else but me. And I'm, and these are sounds that she do, generally does not give to me. Mm-hmm. I stopped at the puppy. I walked up to her. And at that moment, everything changed. And once again, I'm not anthropomorphic. But it was an absolute intense, jealous reaction. And our relationship changed from that point on. Every time I dealt with her, I kind of held my breath. And is she going to be cool with me? Or is she going to fall back to our training that has gone over years and years and years? And I was able, I still was able to work her, mm-hmm. but I almost couldn't interact with her off stage, away from a working situation. She was trained to mark and go A to B, mm-hmm. and she did it very, very well. But I, from that point on, was never able to go in and quote hang out with her or you know just give her love. Um, I didn't trust it. And then and then one day it shifted to full blown aggression. I mean, I'm talking if I went in and had direct contact with her, she would have ripped me apart. Was this but, was this a striped or a spotted hyena? Uh, stri- uh, spotted. I've a had spotted. striped as well. Okay. They're a very different animal altogether. The spotteds are much more just gregarious, mm-hmm. um, confident, mm-hmm. uh personable in a lot of ways the striped are a little bit more skittish and once again you know because where they come from they're low down you know on that on that totem pole um mm. but th- this this particular animal giggles fell in love with my wife oh who, jamie <laughs> yeah so jamie could do anything with her and jamie was you know quite tentative with her i'd, I'd never wanted jamie to go in and have direct contact with her um although there we, we got a snowstorm one year and I was in Texas, and this the snow was so bad, Jamie actually had to crawl over into the enclosure. She couldn't use the normal doors, and she crawled over with a, with a snow shovel. 
and was shoveling out a path for the hyenas to get around in their enclosure from their, you know, from their shelter to their water mm -hmm. to where they're fed. And at one point she realized Giggles was right behind her. And as she was taking the snow shovel to shovel the snow, she, as she came back, she felt that she, you know, not hit, but, you know, yeah. touched Giggles. And she heard Giggles make a sound that was not a good sound. And she just ignored it. She didn't even turn around and look at her. She just kept doing what she was doing. And, you know, nothing happened. But that was the only time, like, she felt she didn't have any other choice but to do what she did in that moment. You know, it was just, it was a very unusual snowstorm where I think we had, you know, like three feet of snow, which oh, man. these days we never get that. Um, and, and, and if someone out there is thinking like, oh, you know, like hyenas and snow, like that we actually did a lot of research. Um, I actually had a book that was from the Bronx Zoo back at the turn of the century and they had hyenas and they, they chronicled in the book, like how hyenas are able to easily handle, you know, the colds of our winter, you know, the Bronx Zoo being uh -huh. very similar to our zoos in the, uh, or to our weather in the winter. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it was kind of surprising to me. I mean, I expected that a hyena is not going to be able to handle a Northern climate, but they actually can easily. So, yeah. What do you have to, as we're wrapping up, we're nearing an hour. What do you think there needs to be more restrictions though on people? Cause I don't want someone listening to this thinking like, Oh, this is great. I want to go out and get a hyena or a tiger or a lion. Should there be more restrictions on people who have, exotic carnivores like this exotic animals uh yes but but carefully you know we have to look mm. very carefully at how those restrictions are laid out but but to, to to respond to that though if someone just listened to us and everything that we just said and they sit back <laughs> and go yeah man i want a hyena you, <laughs> you really haven't been listening you haven't been I, mean, I had a hyena bite off the end of my finger I had giggles almost take my calf off. I mean, literally, like, bit me three times on my calf oh with, my with, you know, with each bite subsequently being harder and harder. And she could have ripped my calf off if she wanted to. As hard as she bit me, she was taking it easy on me. But, you know, once again, with these kinds of animals, it's not if, it's when. And it, 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 it it's it's just nothing that someone would ever want to do. And, yes, there should be restrictions a hyena, a tiger, a lion is not a pet. It's never a pet. Even though we might interact with these animals and we uh, work with them, I would never in a million years use the term pet. That is just a stupid term to use in conjunction with these animals. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, will you join me over for the after show? Absolutely. Okay. And I want to ask you an audience, if you want to check out the after show, just head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. Grant, I want to ask you in the after show what you do if you are attacked. And I also want to get your uh, opinion on the Tiger King Joe Exotic. So if you okay. want, to, <laughs> if you want to, and if you want to listen to that, once again, listeners head on over to our after show. But with that said, Grant, thank you so much for coming back on the show. Absolutely, buddy. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.